Well, please do have your Bibles open at James chapter 1. Our focus this evening is on verse 12. And our title is Live Your Blessed Life Now. Sort of a parody on the prosperity gospel of living your best life now and the dangers that all that entails. So let me just read that verse to you again. Verse 12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in complete dependence. Lord, without you assisting and helping as you promise, we are wasting our time. We pray, Lord, that you will speak through your word now to us. Be glorified in all that we consider. In Jesus' name, amen. So a preacher's role is to give the emphasis that God gives through his scripture. And if God says something, we teach it. If he repeats something, if he reiterates something and looks at something from different angles until we get it, then we should do that too. And one of those themes that is repeated and emphasized throughout Scripture is, is this, that there is difficulty and trial in the Christian life. It's a reality. But when we consider the suffering of believers in the light of God's sovereignty, in the light of his power and control, how do we connect the dots? How do we put all this together? How do we understand it, reconcile it? Philippians 4.4 tells us to have joy in all circumstances, all circumstances, even the challenging ones, even in those places we find Scripture, you see, emphasizing God's care and compassion during those difficult times. Certainly been a natural subject to turn to during these extraordinary months where some of our assumptions and comforts have been taken away or threatened to be taken away. Perhaps we need reminding over and over that our hope is not here. Our hope is not now. And we also need reminding that God remains in control. He has all of this, whatever it is, in hand for our good and for his glory. And we can turn to numerous places in Scripture to see how our God remains in control. And our God remains good. Our God is compassionate and loving towards his children. His plan is never off track. That ultimately we can trust him, even in the darkest of, of providences. But I want to zero in this evening on one of the purposes of such trials, such difficulties. And one of those purposes is, is for our good, for our blessing, for our growth in this life and the next life. So please look with me at this first chapter in this short book of James. Let me just dissect that verse Chapter 1, verse 12, a little bit more, and give you some of the, the meaning that we find. It says, blessed is a man who perseveres, or it could be translated, or remains steadfast. 
under trial. For once he has been approved or stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord or God has promised to those who love him. And the author of this book is, of course, James. He is highly likely to be the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he identifies himself in that very first verse as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've got plenty of questions for him when I get to, to heaven. You see, John 7, 5 tells us that he didn't believe his brother during his earthly life. This is the record of, of Jesus teaching at the feast and his brothers talk to him. And then John says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. James didn't believe in Jesus at that point. And thank God then he became a believer and ultimately a very fruitful follower. Paul records that post-resurrection appearance of, of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Starting in verse 6 it says, After that he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, singles him out. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So he is the James, who was one of the significant leaders in Jerusalem. You can see his influence in Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 1, where he's, he's called an apostle. And in the next chapter, a pillar of the church, according to Paul. We don't know too much about him. We do have the non-inspired record of Josephus, that Jewish historian that often helps us. And he suggests that eventually the Jewish high priest, Ananus, had him put to death by being thrown off one of the high pillars in the temple around the year 62 AD. But you see, James describes himself as a servant or a bondservant. He could have described himself as the physical brother of Jesus. So could Jude later. But you see, James understands that there's no higher honor there's no higher position than that of serving the living God. The verse we're looking at supports that. He claims authority not being on physically related to Jesus, but being united with him spiritually. That's so much more important. He's writing a very practical letter to the 12 tribes, the people of Israel, who are now dispersed. They're scattered in multiple places. You see that in, in verse 1. But by then, that phrase you see, the 12 tribes, could well be a phrase used for all believers, God's people more broadly now, dispersed through all the ages. What's the message, though? What's the headline teaching? You see, James chapter 1 looks at the subject of, of trials and temptation and testing your faith and comfort in suffering. And it begins with an introduction, and then James gets straight to the root of an astonishing truth in verse 2, where he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Or nothing but joy. Or consider it supreme joy. Or pure joy. And then he goes on to explain all the benefits of going through trial. It produces endurance, it produces growth, it produces steadfastness. 
He talks of wisdom in verse 5, probably the best known verse, most quoted. That if we need it, or if we lack it, we need to ask for it from a generous God in faith, not doubting. We need it. Or we will be one of those people who will be impacted negatively by all the things going on around us. So I ask, are you wise? Or are you up and down? Tossed around, double-minded, unstable. James doesn't hold back, does he? Not many pleasantries at the start of his letter. No sandwich technique going on here. Saying something nice and complimentary and then what you really want to say followed by something nice and complimentary. It's not happening here. And then we come to our verse, to pause, to drink in the meaning, to apply to your heart and and life, and to worship and praise the Lord to whom it refers. And and as we progress, I want you to to notice that the barest details of grammar, we're not going too deep. But when we look at our English language, we don't quite catch everything that we should that was in the, the original. There is richness there, and we'll keep it easy, I I promise, and I hope it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. So with that foundational understanding in place, I want to bring you six points, six observations this evening. And here's the first in the order that we find them in the text. We're simply going to walk through verse 12 tonight. And here, our first point is this, we find a blessed man, a blessed man. Let me pause just for a moment and and pull back before we launch into this to make an introductory comment. It applies not just to this sermon, but to many, many other sermons. You see, our text specifically and actually says, blessed is a man. At the very beginning of verse 12, it's masculine, it's male. There's no getting around the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired word uses a word that is most commonly used to talk of men, not women. Okay, or to contrast to the two. But you see there's another second most common use of this very same word, which refers to the meaning being someone or person, as I expect you, you suspected that would be. So that's what's happening here. And I spoke with a language expert at Puritan Seminary about this a little while ago, and this is common. We find it, of course, in the Psalms and in Hebrews, blessed is the man. It's an idiom, okay? The Jewish audience would have clearly understood to include all believers. So ladies, whenever you read a verse like this or have a sermon talking about man and and mankind, never think you're excluded from anything. You're in the text. The full blessings are yours. Never, ever even entertain the the thought that Scripture excludes you or that you are in any way secondary to God or secondary in the life of the church because of God-given complementarian rules that we have in Scripture. That's never the conclusion. It's a misapplication, misunderstanding of God's revelation to us. You are in the text. That was an aside. Back to the text, which you now understand includes and applies to all of God's people, even if I keep saying man all evening long. So it says at the very start of verse 12, blessed or happy is a man, or the man, or the one. It's telling us the state of the person, blessed. So what we're doing here is we're considering who is and who is not blessed. Who does, who does not have a blessed life? 
And as we'll see, James begins by returning to his opening theme in the letter, joy and blessing in the midst of trial. But I'm jumping ahead to make the point that this verse does not simply stand alone. It's a building argument. And some people argue here that we should avoid the use of the word happy, even though it's a legitimate translation. I wonder if you've ever experienced a random act of kindness. I have a couple of times. Someone said, I I want to bless you. Bless you. And it's an unexpected or unearned gift, and I've seen it happen to other people. I was at a conference recently, and a pastor had a huge pile of books he wanted to buy. It's like four, five hundred dollars, and he was buying a few for himself, but most as gifts for other people who, who he felt needed them. And he came to the checkout, and he left his wallet up in his room. And we put the books to one side, and he headed upstairs. And by the time he'd returned, someone else had anonymously paid his bill. And they, they said, just tell him someone wanted to bless him. And he was so thankful when he came back and used it as an opportunity to buy more books for more people. I I love seeing things like that. It's a beautiful thing. We can be blessed by others and we can be a blessing to others. We can also be blessed by God. And here we find an example of this. Many other places in Scripture that call God's people blessed. But what is blessing in this context well it's really God's favor God's protection commentator Douglas Moo says a person who is blessed may not be happy at all for our emotional state may and will vary with the circumstances of life but we can be assured that whatever those circumstances if we endure With faith and commitment to God, we will be the recipients of God's favor, God's blessing. So even in the midst of those circumstances, you remain blessed. It's not implying that we are to be skipping around the whole time with bubbly smiles on our faces. This is a a deep-rooted happiness, grounded in an understanding of, of the biblical definition rather than a worldly or lacking definition of blessing and happiness. And he's about to describe who is blessed, what characteristics this person has, so that that we, but more importantly, God counts him as blessed. You see this? This is God's conclusion about the man. This is God's description of, of who is blessed. So blessed here points to the the settled understanding That a believer lives this life and views this life buttressed by the firm and secure knowledge of all the eternal realities personally for them. God's favor rests on them. And in that context, whatever comes, whatever comes in the providence of God does not overwhelm them, does not worry them or rock them or cause them anxiety. Courage and faith and trust, despite all the external circumstances. And perhaps difficult circumstances. You remain blessed, believer, despite those ups and downs in this life. And so now what follows is a description where we need to ask questions or more accurately submit to God and learn from Him. 
seeing how he or she is is blessed and why they are blessed. So that's the first point, a blessed man. Now, secondly, in the next part of the verse, we find an enduring man. It says, who perseveres or remains steadfast. So this is the beginning of the description. It opens up slowly, phrase by phrase. This is the first slice of the cake. This begins to give us the reason for being blessed, that he perseveres. And this is where we need to notice the grammar. This is present active tense. What does that mean? This addresses you during whatever is happening now. Today, you are blessed if you persevere. You are blessed if you keep going. Press on, not stopping, not looking back, enduring. Now the Beijing Winter Olympics finished just today, closing ceremony. Now the Paralympics will begin in a few days' time. And some of the the sports we we find might be classed as endurance sports, especially those like cross-country skiing and the like, because it's not about that short burst of energy or an effort, but it's about longevity. It's about perseverance. It's about keeping going. But the message there in China is that the individual wins the prize and takes the glory, even if in the interview they thank everybody they can think of. The prize is still theirs. It's been earned by them. Their name is in the record books. And we're going to see in a few moments, though, that there are countless gold medals available for God's people, not just one winner. And we're going to see that the glory of winning that prize does not go to the individual to whom it's given. Matthew Henry says this, The crown of life is promised not only to great and eminent saints, but to all those, all those who have the love of God reigning in their hearts. Every soul that truly loves God shall have its trials in this world, fully fully recompensed in that world, above where love is made perfect. So we need to endure. This is the enduring man who is blessed. And now we find the next part of our verse, a tested man. It's in two parts. It says, whoever perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved or tried. So first, who is blessed? The one who perseveres. But what does he persevere in? We see that it talks of the one who remains steadfast under trial. Or that endures temptation. The enduring of temptation, not falling into it, is is a cause of joy, of course. But again, this is present active tense. This is happening today. This is happening in the life of those people that James is addressing. They're in this presently, and perhaps you're in this presently. That you are enduring trial. Which could be multiple different things. The people whom James is writing to were no exceptions in the early church. They, they suffered. They faced oppression. They were poor. 
They were being tried and tempted in, in multiple ways. And there are dangers when that happens. And, and James is giving them Holy Spirit-inspired support and counsel and application so that they avoid falling into sin. He gives them encouragement. Commentator Barnes says this word trials can mean anything that will try the reality of religion, whether, whether affliction or persecution or a direct inducement to sin, placed before the mind. You see, he's saying this is a broad meaning. Others say that it can also point to temptations in, in sickness or other trials of various kinds. The point is, fill in your own blank. Whatever your trial is, that's what James is saying. It's like back in verse 2, whatever trials come, rejoice. Here, whatever trials happen, you are blessed as you persevere in it, during it. There is blessing if you bear the trial and avoid the sin, avoid the grumbling and murmuring. Douglas Moo again says, James's wording suggests that he is not thinking of any particular trial, but the nature or essence of trial. It's a general lesson who perseveres under trial. He doesn't stop there. There's an important switch in, in grammar here. It moves from present tense to aorist tense. Looking backwards, for once he has been approved or tried. This is now looking at a past action that may or may not yet be complete. It could have the sense, because having stood the test, even though the test is still ongoing, you've been through a lot of it, you see, so even if you're still in the middle of the trial and it hasn't yet reached a conclusion or a satisfactory ending, you have endured so far. Praise God, you are blessed. You are victorious so far. Much more may still be to come. You may not see the end, but you have persevered through so far. This tells us what leads to this blessed state, also in the past tense. It's potentially pointing you to, and the readers of James's letter forward, it's, it's potentially saying, you might be going through this now, but one day in this world or not in this world, you will look back, having been tried or approved, and you will see this blessing. Trumolo rightly says, trials rightly born bring joy. Matthew Henry said, it is implied that troubles and afflictions may be the lot of the best Christians, even of those who have the most reason to think and hope well of themselves, such as have a title to the greatest joy, may yet endure very grievous afflictions. There is blessing in the growing process. There's blessing in sanctification, in being refined in the furnace of affliction. In enduring through hard hardship, blessing comes through affliction. If your life is consumed with avoiding affliction, you're missing out on blessing. Matthew Henry says this, A blessing may arise from them, and we may be blessed in them. They are so far from taking away a good man's felicity that they really increase it. Sufferings and temptations are the way to eternal blessedness. Now, we don't go around poking bees' nests, do we? No, this is presented as a reality. If you follow Christ fully, you will. 
you should expect trial and temptation. And when you do encounter that, persevere, grow. You are blessed. A blessed man, an enduring man, a tested man. And fourthly, we see more of the result or more of the promise of the hope. We find a crowned man. It says, he will receive the crown of life. This man we have had described to us, this blessed, enduring, tested man will receive the crown of life. It's an interesting, it's an intriguing label. You notice the tense here before we move on. It says, will receive. It's actually just one word. It's future tense with certainty. Pointing forward to something ahead. There is blessing now. The man is blessed now in many ways while here on earth, of course, going through difficulty, knowing the goodness and blessing and favor of God. We can enjoy that now. But the emphasis is beyond this life, predominantly to the joy there, the blessing there ahead, our inheritance there. There is more to come. You are blessed now in the trial, but be assured you will be further blessed. Deeper, richer blessing is to follow. Greater, ultimate blessing ahead. When you look back on all this and say, James, you were right. Seriously, go and find him. 200 years from now, tell him you were right, James. He's talking to them today, you see, in the middle of it, saying you're blessed today, but more is to come. He points to an unfading crown. There's a contrast here with the fleeting and fading of the flowers and the grass in verse 10. But we read of crowns elsewhere, of course. 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. We need to be faithful even to the point of using our, losing our own lives. This is the glorious reward that we can look up and forward to as we endure these Trials. Now to you and I, when we hear the word crown, we see the crown jewels in the Tower of London. But the image that was likely in their minds at the time was more of a wreath that would go on the head of an athlete. It's 1 Corinthians 9.25 that talks of that athlete winning the crown that won't endure. And then he compares it to the crown that lasts forever. Thinking again about those Olympics. It's an endless rotation, really. Every four years, winners come, winners go. People seeking to make it to the top. And then many can be set for life, even if their abilities fade. But people in the world today, you see, are seeking multiple types of crowns in the wrong places. The world doesn't think that we're happy. The world doesn't think that we're blessed. From their perspective, they think we're missing out on life. They can't see what we see. They think we're wasting our time this evening, wasting our money. The Super Bowl happened just last weekend. The winners were crowned, possibly the pinnacle of their career or even their lives. It's not just sport, of course it isn't. There's multiple avenues of, of achievement. 
celebrated billionaires Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos reaching out into space recently. They're all presented as having the worldly crown of life, which is a dream for normal people, not really obtainable. Maybe a few in Michigan will, will hit the standard. I don't know, Floyd Mayweather, Gerald R. Ford. Maybe you can name others. Now, I'm not belittling their achievements, but it's very common and appropriate for preachers to compare the world's achievements with what really matters, with what really lasts into eternity. Many worldly crowns are not achievable or, or realistic for the average Joe or Josephine. But you see, the, the normal stance of the world is to look at success in the wrong way. They're blinded. The, the measure that they have is set by fallible humanity, by the sinful, selfish world's, world's standards with little or no regard for God or eternity. Look at these sad examples of Caesar and, and Herod and multiple other leaders in Scripture. Desperate endings, having been right on the top. Imagine if you led a life where you graduated from Harvard with the highest honors and caught the touchdown in the Super Bowl and hit the Grand Slam home run in the deciding game in the World Series and discovered the cure for cancer and achieved world peace. And you can add anything else you want to that, to that list. You have reached the very peak of humanity. Books will be written about you. You'll need to buy a house with a spare room for all the accolades, but do not receive the crown that God offers. Ultimately, your story is tragic. And that's in the estimation of the only one that counts, the Lord. It's his opinion that matters. I wonder what the most important thing you have ever done is. What's the pinnacle of your life? The highlight. Has it already passed, do you think? In the world's eyes or your own eyes, have you already achieved your peak? Done the best that you'll ever do? Have you already run the quickest you will ever run? Thought the smartest that you ever will think? It's where the world starts writing you off, but God doesn't. God hasn't. God won't. No, we need to use a different measuring rod. God's measuring rod, a different mindset, God's mindset. The Christians James is writing to may be poor in the world's eyes, but they're the super rich in the heavenly kingdom. And if they're thinking straight, they would never trade one for the other. The crown does refer to life now, but also to eternal life ahead. This is your best life now or blessed life now with better ahead. We know the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, those who are insulted and persecuted and slandered because of Christ Jesus. And then Jesus says in Matthew 5.12 that these people should rejoice and be glad because of that future reward. And it's then in that context that the trials and temptations are, are relatively minor. You know I'm not dismissing them. But you see how common this teaching is. Putting things in the correct context. 
Jesus and Paul and James and others emphasize this. Thomas Watson said, In this blessed inheritance, there is nothing but glory. There is the King of glory. There are vessels of glory. There are thrones of glory. There is the weight of glory. There are the crowns of glory. There is the kingdom of glory. There is the brightness of glory. This is a purchase worth getting. Knowing Christ and having that crown ahead is worth anything. But I wonder, do you check your IRA or Roth or 401k balance more often than your heavenly balance? What we have here in Scripture is an inheritance that will never dwindle away. Maybe it's my age demographic, but I seem to be getting hourly emails with ads tailored to asking me if I've saved enough for retirement yet. How much do you need to live comfortably or maintain the same or similar lifestyle? And it's effectively saying, David, we know how old you are and you may only have 20 years left to get ready. Of course, we need to be sensible. But my bank account is not where my hope is. The balance in there is not a measure of how blessed I am. Your retirement plan is important, but you are planning way beyond then with God's help. You're blessed now. And you are going, believer, to a place where you don't have to make calculations about how much you can spend without deteriorating the principal amount. You have an infinite amount of riches ahead. But that is never or should never be your primary motivation for living as we'll see momentarily in the next part of the verse. When we face trials and temptations, it's essential to keep our eyes on the prize. A crown is the reason for the deep-rooted and well-grounded joy and happiness, blessing. One commentator put it beautifully, how glorious is the crown of life, even already on our heads, invisible to men of the world, who are sensible only of external pomp and splendor, but visible to the children of God, to whom divine wisdom is justified in all her ways. And so we've seen a blessed man, an enduring man, a tested man, a crowned man, and then fifthly, a or the perfect man, which the Lord has promised. Now this is the one that does exclusively point to a single man, of course, the perfect man, the the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already seen that this is a lesson on how to face trials with biblical thinking. But critically, this is how to get through them with Christ. He is the source of this blessing. He is the one who secures the crown of life. He earns it. He gives it to the undeserving people like, like you and I. Actually, he's part and parcel of the reward, of the crown. There are three things to notice here in this part of the text. It says, which the Lord has promised. And first is that it's the Lord that's promised this blessing, this, this help, this strength to persevere, this, this crown. The Lord is actually supplied in the text. It may be in italics in, in your Bible, so we can understand it in English. But that's obviously what it's saying. It's telling us that God is the source of all of this. And then it also tells us, has, don't skip over such an important word, 
This is not saying that we hope these things will happen. We have our fingers crossed that it will turn out okay. No. This points us back. He has past aorist tense completed action. He has promised this. Remember, he's addressing people in the present tense going through the trial, pointing them and us backwards to God's faithfulness. He's already achieved this. And then third, it also points us to God's promises already made back then. We know what happens with God's promises. They always come true. They're inevitable. Never once have they failed. They inevitably will be fulfilled for a certain group of people. We know that if God makes a promise, it's more certain than anything else in the known universe. The crown is given to us. But we must remember that the true joy is Christ himself. Not the benefits of Christ. Not only has he promised it, but he has secured it. He has paid for it already. The crown of glory isn't earned by you. You don't deserve it in any shape or form. And yet you have it all because of Christ. And you need to understand this blessing. Have you seen what has been done for you? Are you living in the light of this? Are you living in this reality? The fact that you can even stand in his very presence one day, one day soon, and not be consumed with holy fire is a mercy. The fact that you are welcome as an heir, that he willingly embraced paying the cost of the crown for his people, And for you specifically, believer, on the cross, all the sin you've ever committed against others, which is ultimately against God, which is wiped away because of his perfect sacrifice, his substitution. Oh, my friends, all glory and praise goes to him. He appeased the wrath of God for you. What is this crown of life? It's everything to do with Christ himself. Without Christ, there's no crown. Without Christ, there's no hope. Without Christ, there's no, f- no future in heaven. I say again, we don't follow Christ for the benefits of Christ. We follow Christ for Christ himself. Because of his mercy and love and grace and forgiveness, Christ is everything. This is our crown, crown of life because of the Prince of life. The prize of Christ is for all eternity. And when we walk through the gates of heaven, we will be in his very presence. We'll share his inheritance. We'll gaze on him. We'll be able to look at the wounds that he bore for us. We'll be able to sing his praises forevermore. The crown means nothing without the one who earns that crown for you. Without the one who places that crown on your head. Without the one who has the keys of death and hell. Do you love the Savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your Redeemer? Do you worship him? Do you long to be with him? Do you long to please him? Do you long to be more like him? Oh, my friend, heaven is not made in your imagination. Heaven is the very presence of God himself. When Christ walked this earth in humility. He was here temporarily. 
and then sending His Spirit to help and to guide us. Oh, of course, we have union with Christ now, but with more and deeper to come. Unbroken union with Christ. That's the crown. That's heaven. There is joy and hope at the end of trial and temptation. Believer, persevere. Christ will be your keeper. That's true blessing. That's the blessed life now. I will give you the crown of life. There's nothing that can surpass that promise. It includes the richest and most blessed life now and all the promises and fullness of heaven and the capstone of Christ himself. It's a promise that surpasses any fleeting worldly crown you can ever dream up. A blessed man, an enduring man, a tested man, a crowned man, a perfect man, and sixthly and finally, a loving man. A loving man. It says to those who love him. This is the qualification. This is who the promise applies to. This is an exclusive group. And the question this Lord's Day is, if you are in this group, do you love him? Do you love Christ? Again, the original language tells us something interesting. The, the word love is present, uh, present active participle. It's an action in the present and the future. Do you love Jesus today? Those who truly do will love him forever. It will only get deeper and richer in time and, and eternity. There are many who endure and persevere in the world today in all sorts of ways, amazing stories, many inspiring endurance challenges and heroism and all those kind of things, many who persevere, many who go through trials, and it, it might build character. But you see, this is an exclusive promise only for the authentic believer going through these trials, persevering, enduring. But it's the authentic believer who loves God. There's the evidence. That is the one who will be given the crown. That is the blessed man, the one who loves God. Paul talks of this group again in 2 Timothy 4.8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, listen, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You love Jesus Christ. That's the deciding factor here. Is it evident in your life? And therefore, are you truly blessed? You see, this is the love for Christ that produces such perseverance and and endurance. But it's also Christ who's with us in that. Christ who works in and through us to endure and persevere in trials and through trials. Because of Christ, you're not left alone. The prize is something only someone who loves Christ would want. I ask again, do you genuinely love Christ? Is this promise right here, is it yours? If so, you are eternally blessed beyond measure. If not, go to your knees to the only one who can remedy the situation. The only one who can give you the crown. The only one who can offer mercy and grace. You see the pattern here of us loving the Lord and a trial coming that brings with it testing, which leads to endurance, 
and therefore unto maturity and growth to complete faith that doesn't lack. And then divine approval and reward that none of us deserve. That's the model. That makes the roots go deep. That stops the wavering because your faith has been tested and hardened in a positive sense. A blessed man, an enduring man, a tested man, a crowned man, a perfect man, and a loving man. Some see James 1.12 as a kind of summary of the themes of trial and temptation from all that we've seen earlier in, in the chapter, drawing it all together to bring out a principle. Others see a new motivation in verse 12 for enduring. You see, earlier in the chapter, the motivation is the perfecting of our character, is, is growth. But you see, here it adds something extra. It gives us that future reward as well. There's a difference. But it can, of course, be both. Christian life does come as a package deal. There's continuity in those two themes. Yeah, of course, I want to grow now, and there is a perfecting and a maturing now. But that's not divorced from the future hope that I have either. It culminates in the future reality where we will be with Christ beyond all the trials. With Christ because of Christ. We share in his glory as co-heirs. But it was all him to save us. All him walking with us through this life. This passage speaks of the power of faith and of love towards God and how that helps in trial and temptation. True joy, true blessing are found exclusively in Christ. Thomas Brooks, it's him who says that afflictions are but as a dark entry into the Father's house. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, that the, these temporary afflictions give way to an eternal weight of glory. I give the last word this evening to Matthew Henry. As an encouragement, he said this, to be approved of God is the great aim of a Christian in all his trials. And it will be his blessedness at last when he shall receive the crown of life. The tried Christian shall be a crowned one. And the crown he shall wear will be a crown of life. It will be life and bliss to him and will last forever. We only bear the cross for a while. But we shall wear the crown to eternity. May God bless you as you reflect on these amazing and practical truths that are neither abstract or theoretical. They are real believer. They can be and must be applied to your life and impact your thoughts and actions. You are not alone in trial. There is purpose. There is strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You are never without hope if you are a Christian. Your best days are always ahead of you. Your blessed life is now and it will only get better. All praise and glory for that goes to our Lord Jesus Christ. Strive for the crown, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word to us this evening. We thank you for the hope ahead that we have, if indeed we are yours, if we love you. Oh God, we go through difficult times. 
And we pray that we would not misuse them, but that we would use them as you intend, as an opportunity for growth and maturity and blessing in the middle of it and as we reflect back on your faithfulness through it. Lord, we come to you for any here this evening who do not know you, who are not living a life of blessing because they do not love you. We pray, Lord, that even this evening you will show them their their sin before you, a holy God, and that they will flee to the Savior, the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and there find mercy and grace that many of us have already found. Would you be glorified in saving a sinner or many sinners this evening? Oh, God, save them, we pray, and be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.